Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. So again, we travel across the world to a great, great place of uh, Macedon, uh, one of the former Yugoslavian countries. It's Remco who mentioned he was a jet fighter fly, flying an F-16 and actually had some action in the um, Yugoslavian war, a terrible, terrible war. But this young man was born on the year that actually communism finished and the Yugoslavian story started as a fresh one. Macedonia having a hell of a, an old history a very contentious place with regards to Greece. Uh, they call themselves Macedonia. I introduce a 30-year-old man who started flying when he was 11 years old. Really needs an introduction. And that's that he is a test and team pilot for Bruce Goldsmith, is a World Cup pilot, of course. He's done really, really well. Extremely dangerous pilot in regards to competition. You really have to hold with your teeth onto his the back of his harness because man he's fast to go away by himself not scared to say this bar is for pushing let's push the bloody thing uh, very involved in the fai in the pwc circuit in organizing competitions as i mentioned he has a, a, a tour school a tour business a school he learned flying from his dad when he was 11 he has been world accuracy champion he flies a sailplane acro it goes on you are just telling me a few minutes ago, Martin, about uh, the lockdown which has just happened in Macedonia, a very social country like South Africa is, uh, from 4 p.m. to sunrise now, new rules. Hi, welcome. Hi, hi, Steph. Uh, very nice to hear you. It's a little bit uh, wild to think that uh, just a few weeks ago we were together in South Africa and it was all calm and nice. Nobody could even predict something like this. But uh, yes, as you mentioned, now I'm back home. Macedonian people are very social people. And uh, from the very beginning, it was unfortunately necessary to put a bit uh, more tough measures uh, against this uh, COVID-19 things. At the moment, we are in a lockdown, which means that you cannot get out uh, during the weekend. But as well, during the week, after 4 p.m. till the morning, nobody goes out, which is uh, not nice, definitely, but unfortunately needed. And I think that especially for such a social people like here, it, it will work out well. Uh, Macedonia is fighting very well with this uh, COVID-19 thing. We have a um, really small number of uh, people infected. The percentage of people that unfortunately passed away is really small as well. So we are really optimistic that we're going to fight it over and we, we starve and we hope that we're going to be one of the first countries clear out of it. Of course, uh, at the moment, is the middle of the peak as everywhere else by all the predictions. But we really hope that from the second half of May, things going to get uh, normal again. So let's uh, let's hope. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for that, Martin. That's uh, lacquer 
of course, across the world to get a different um, uh, update from different people, chatting to Bill in America yesterday, to uh, Davide Licini in Switzerland a couple of days ago, uh, to, da- uh, to Daniel Tirkas, who was doing his nut. He's looking up at the sky going, I am so... I'm really feeling like I want to go and fly. You know what I mean? You know it, Martin. You are like me. We are completely addicted to this stuff. You are involved with Bruce Goldsmith. And uh, again, just to introduce somebody, Bruce Goldsmith has a hell of a history of uh, paragliding. He has written an exquisite book, um, which every paraglider pilot should read. You should tell uh, Bruce to change that to an ebook immediately or maybe something like a podcast. Why not? You have a beautiful country, Ohrid, Khrushchevo, in Skopje, flying schools, etc. Talk to me. You mentioned we are lucky in this regard. I am actually very lucky in this regard because I just came back from a hike and fly flight, 10 minutes uh, <laughs> from, my, from my house, and I live in the middle of the city. Macedonia, especially this area in Pelagonia Valley, around Prilep and world-famous Khrushchev site. Uh, we have very nice conditions. We have been flying uh, almost every day now this spring. And at least in this regard, even though limited, uh, we are very fortunate to, to live in such a place, be able to fly very often, actually. Uh, regardless of the season, even in winter, there is very good flights around here. Uh, regarding the tours and guidings, of course, this with all the lockdowns and everything, uh, this year goes a little bit slowly. Everything is cancelled for April and May. But the plan is to continue as usual from June onwards. Actually, the season is quite full. And we hope that we're going to make uh, many new pilots and old pilots quite happy to fly here with us again. Also, we have a couple of competitions uh, planned uh, this season. The classic Flymaster Open is on the calendar uh, again in August. With Cristiano and all the Flymaster staff helping us, with Goran Dimishkovsky leading the comp. Really hope that by that time everything's going to be nice and clean so we can have a nice comp and uh, hang out with the friends again, race again uh, around the sky of, of yeah. Pelagonia uh-huh. here. So it goes slowly. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, last year I visited you, a few years ago I visited you on my way to Montenegro to visit Peter, who, by the way, Martin and Peter are tandem pilots in Cape Town, uh, work for a different company, not my tandem business, but we're all friendly and we have a really good time together. We had a brilliant uh, farewell party for you guys. It was super. Hopefully next season is next season. Let's see, of course. But of course, we were talking about the competitions, exquisite competitions. I have to testify that the flying is extremely regular, never crazy, late afternoon conditions, the kind of floating around that any student can learn something in. Some top tips for us, please, Martin. I think when I was younger, you know, you're used to some place and uh, you don't appreciate what you have until you you check many things. When I was younger, actually, I, I didn't have even that big knowledge or even appreciations for, for this place. But once I started traveling a bit more and discovering all these world-famous places, I actually, I was like, actually, we do have something special. The, you know, the best thing about uh, this region, the, the whole region is uh, affected with such a weather where things are very predictable. 
And this helps for competitions, this helps for students, this helps for, for guiding, for cross-country, for everything. The weather is really mild without very sudden changes and without drastic changes. And this helps to have so many happy pilots, I believe. Another thing is that it's very convenient in a valley which is 30 kilometers wide and 70 kilometers long, surrounded by mountains and a flatland in front of them. We have around 11 takeoffs, all on different altitudes and different wind directions. So basically, we what? can fly any direction, any wind we need. 11 takeoffs. The furthest point from one takeoff to the other is one hour, even less. We are very spoiled, and everywhere you can reach uh, either by by car, asphalt road, or maybe just a five to seven minutes to walk to the takeoff, to the main takeoff, which is really, really, it helps a lot, especially for the tours and guidings and students, because you can do a lot of flights in one day. You, you can do runs of half an hour almost, especially on our main places in Khrushchevo and Prilep in Treskalets, half an hour flight without packing. We just put the stuff in the back of the, of the bus and we go again. In this way, the students do easy 10 flights a day without too much rushing, without anything, and they can progress really fast. With big landings in the valley, huge fields, very safe to land, very open. Actually, we also have, uh, we don't have much problems with the farmers. And it makes it really, really nice place for, especially for first discoveries out on cross countries. But even like with the hang gliders, they, they loved it. You can land anywhere. You have, you don't think about landing so stuff like that. Everything you read in a book, it works here. And I think mm -hmm. this is the key point why it's so good to learn or to progress around here. It's not the easiest place. Of course, the thermals are not as strong as in the Alps. So if you are not thermaling well, then it's not that easy to cover too big distance or you cannot come here and make 200, uh, 300 case flights often. But it works exactly like you have read in the books. And this, this makes it very nice playground. Also from the competition side, makes it a nice playground to see who put the job, who worked on the tactics, who worked on, on, on training, and who is just following the group and stuff like that. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, super, man. I'm just making a couple of notes here, and uh, the, the ones I wanted to mention are, you know, you say the farmers are so cool. If you were a hang glider pilot and you arrived in Kushabo and you fly there and you land, any farmer is still going to bring you and your hang glider home. They're going to make a plan, you know. And uh, for somebody to give you a ride in a 45-year-old car, um, back to the takeoff, they don't speak a word of English, but they don't mind because they understand that you are part of this community of really cool people that come from all around the world. Fantastic. Very cheap to stay there. Anyone visiting Khrushchevo should definitely, even if it's just one night if you're on a budget, for 30 euros or 25 euros, you stay in the big hotel and the big hotel is bloody beautiful. It has a terrace. Every single room has a terrace en suite. Fantastic with a beautiful breakfast buffet of 20 kinds of food. Every single meal costs you so cheap in Khrushchevo and that hotel is sensational. 
a normal accommodation is maybe 10 euros for the night to stay there, to eat for, for really cheap, cheap, cheap beer. Your main takeoff site is a dream. Anybody with two left hands, a completely rubbish pilots, some of which we've seen before, hey, Martin, anyone can fly there. Even with light thermals, Martin, what's that about? That's about learning to thermal, isn't it? Yes. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the prices are, as you mentioned, for 30 euros, you have accommodation in the hotels. For 10 to 15, you have accommodation in the villas inside the, inside the town. A meal is uh, like 7 to 10 euros, a good meal with drinks and everything. It's really nice and cheap place to stay and, and do a lot of hours, especially as our average flying time is around 5.5 days out of seven, which is quite a lot. Uh, on many of, of the unflyable days, it's still flyable somewhere around. But if you're a bit more experienced or if you're willing to travel a bit longer, maybe to Ohrid or to Popova Shapka, which are sites uh, that are two hours, two and a half hours away. Once flying time, uh, it's very guaranteed once you're here. And with the light thermals, you know, it's not much of a light thermals, but our mountains are not alpine steep hills. The, the good part actually is that the, on the main flying place in Khrushchevo, the mountain is, is facing east. So you can start flying very early on the early thermals, first the soft ones, then it's a bit more punchy, but then all the mountain is covered with trees, with forest. And this makes the thermals a bit softer than on a rocky mountains, which we actually have on the other half of the, of the valley. On the, on the east side of the valley, we have rocky mountains. So you can mix these different styles very interestingly and you can, yeah, you can have very different flights in a very small, in a very small area. As I mentioned, for the learning of the thermals, the best thing is that it works as it's in the books. If you have read that there will be a thermal on a pointy peak or on the sunny side of the slope or on the above the village inside or the tractor plowing the field, it will be a thermal, usually. And this, this makes it very easy to understand what you are learning by theory and what you can put in practice. Uh, completely. Couldn't, couldn't disagree with you on any of those points, uh, Martin. I mean, uh, Ochrid, the lake, and you can fly both sides of a bloody beautiful place. Most visited place in Macedonia is uh, the town and the lake of Ochrid. And you spell that O-H-R-I-D. And uh, just across the valley from the lake, some pilots, and they didn't even want to have one cent from me, again like you guys, they paying for lunch and dinner. You have to fight them. You have to wrestle them to the ground, actually, to buy them a beer. And such hospitality again. That place, the opposite side of the Lake Ochrid, a lot of people flying there. If you get a little bit organized, you get Martin's number. You go on tour with Martin. You would be absolutely surprised how affordable it is to drive to have Martin, for example, as a tour guide, bring your paragliding school there or whatever. But the other side of the lake, at 7.30 in the morning, you have three up thermals. How does that work, Martin? <laughs> Ochrid Lake is, is surrounded by mountains, so you can, again, fly like the Pelagonia Valley. You can fly both sides. We have takeoffs on the east side, uh, where 
the thermals work uh, quite early, as you mentioned. And then we have um, the main site on the, on the other side of the valley, which uh, looks to the west. And actually, this, this place is really nice to fly. It's a little bit stronger place to fly, but actually very consistent, very nice conditions there. Especially you can fly very late in the afternoon. Very often we have a nice thermal soaring, thermal breeze that makes some nice wind that you can soar up to two meter, 2,000 meters high on the mountain and soar until sunset. It's really beautiful. There is many tandem companies operating in Ohrid because this is our most touristic place. My brother spends the summer there usually and stuff like that. So it's quite easy to get um, a lift or something uh, like that around that lake. Also plenty of taxis uh, as any touristic place. So it's not a problem at all to, to fly around Ohrid Lake. And it is definitely, if you are coming to Macedonia, even if you're coming for flying, it is a place to visit. From historical perspective, many churches, many temples, and it's really beautiful. Ohrid Lake is one of the deepest lakes in Europe. And uh, the water is so clean that you can see maybe 10, 20 meters through, through the water. You can drink that water. It's also um, on the border of Albania. So both the, the flying sites in Ohrid, if you turn left at the main one that Martin's talking about, and it's right in the town. So if you are lazy, you take a taxi. Otherwise, you walk along the water's edge, the lake's edge, to one of the Tannum companies, and for two or five euros, they'll drive you up. Any friendly Macedonian pilot is going to give you a proper description on how to take off. And you turn left as you take off. You go up, 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 and you fly to Albania. Then you stop and you turn around and you don't cross the border and you come back. And on the other side of the Lake Ohrid, you turn right as you take off, and you're also at the, mess, at the Albanian border within 20 kilometers of super easy soaring. No, really lovely places to fly, uh, Martin. Tell us about the Flymaster Open. That's um, a new uh, format of competition. I was with you guys last year. Brilliant idea. Super success. A lot of pilots came, and a lot of pilots learned a lot there. You want to tell us about it? Uh, any feeling about the concept of Yes, we, we started Flymaster Open last year um, with uh, Goran leading the comp and the Flymaster backing us up completely with a huge help from them. Thank, thanks to them a lot. But um, the, the first idea, last year we were very busy with, with the Worlds as well. And it was just a start beginning of the Flymaster Open. And now it's becoming a traditional comp that we will be organized every year possibly Khrushchevo, possibly in other places as well. We, we have organized uh, plenty of high-level comps. Me and Goran, as you know, in the last 10 years, have organized over 15, 17 comps in Khrushchevo. Uh, we have organized wow. two World Cups. We have organized two European Championships, a World Championship, um, a World Hang Gliding, European Hang Gliding Comp. So, and as well, we are involved around uh, pre-World Cups and uh, World Cups around the world. And we wanted to bring this high-level professional comp mm -hmm. to the lower classes and to the regular mm -hmm. competition pilots as well. Because we, we could find out that many young pilots and many pilots that are not World Cup level or they, they, they don't want to compete on these super 
competitive events, but they still want the quality uh, of organizing uh, the comp and the safety that that brings and uh, and the nice time, nice tasks, a lot of fun and everything. So the simple way was to bring the highest level competition possible in terms mm -hmm. of organization to the lower classes that can be a competition for everyone. Of course, as you know, you was one of the best pilots last year on that comp. The comp is open for CCC gliders as well, but we do rankings for all the competitions and we're going to do this year as well. We have a lot of guests that we're going to publish a bit later in May uh, that going to have some nice presentations, teaching them about flying and maybe even a, a new formula where the lower classes can, can, can keep up a little bit longer or a little bit better with, uh, with the top guys and they can see them practically and see and learn of what these guys are doing in the air. Because the general problem with all these um, class competitions is that even though you compete with uh, somebody very good, they are gone after the first thermal. So you cannot see them. So you again, you're flying with your buddies into, into low big gliders and you, it's very difficult to learn without watching the good pilots what they do so i think uh, it can be quite successful and it, people can be quite happy with this comp and around here last year's feedback feedback was amazing also at site we have full flymaster backing uh, flymaster life tracking a lot of new things came out from last year's flymaster open a lot of new technologies checking um, on the life tracking on in terms of uh, retrieval, in terms of making results straight away, and many new things Flymaster is bringing to the comp, instruments, and helping around a lot of people. So it can be very nice from a technical and flying perspective, this comp. Yeah, geez, well said. I mean, last year I came second uh, just behind some Japanese uh, a Honda, Suzuki, or a Yamaha, I don't know. But man, he had throttle when he gave it, he gave it. So, I mean, you mentioned the beauty of that competition. Throw classes out. Anyone can fly whatever they want to fly. Come along. It's just for fun. Again, you're only going to get a kick in your ass and a thank you very much. But it was so nicely uh, done with the tasks, with the layout, with the organization, and so many of the 60-odd pilots that attended. Um, I mean, we were what? I think we were like 12 CCC gliders. So finally... The field wasn't so shitty, you know, it was an okay level. Bartosz was there, who else was smoking towards goal? I mean, a lot of lot of really, really good pilots uh, came along. So although the format is like a, a kind of entry-level competition, I think you found something there that's actually worth checking out and fantastic. I don't know about you, Martin, but uh, do you think things are on hold uh, in August? Do you think you might still have something going on? I'm still planning to come. I know, I know we spoke of doing something. There is still something to, to speak about. Uh, maybe we still do something very cool together in August or September. Honestly, uh, it's very difficult to predict. I, I'm, I'm always, uh, especially in these few months, find out as much as info as possible, how long this is going to last and so on. But it's very difficult to predict, but we are very optimistic, especially for August. I'm, I, as I told you, I'm optimistic that maybe even in June we will have some hope and we can do some activities with uh, the students and, and guiding and tours, SAVs. 
but uh, August should be definitely, it's quite, uh, there is quite a, some time for things to settle till then. And I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to, to have Flymaster open. At the moment, in terms, uh, just to make it easy for the pilots, we are keeping um, a no registration, no payments, nothing for now. Registration hmm. will open um, during the weekend, but uh, there will be no payments, nothing until June. In June, we'll make the final call and we'll know exactly what's going to be happening. So it's, uh, we don't want the stress of the pilots in these uncertain times to be, uh, will I have the spot uh, or not and stuff like that. So I think uh, we, we are always trying to, to make it uh, in the easiest way possible for the pilots. Yeah. After all, this is a competition for them. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, uh, I think we're living in times of standby. I think we're living in times of uh, let's see, uh, start to live a little bit closer. Of course, uh, financially, uh, airline uh, stresses. Um, sorry, a little earlier, you mentioned uh, obviously how easy it is to get around and your 11 takeoff sites within an hour. I also want to mention to people that Skopje, their capital, has even got low cost airlines that fly in there, and quite a lot of them. And uh, from Skopje to Khrushchev is a cheap taxi. And it's two hours away. So you arrive in really flying paradise. Uh, folks, I really think you shouldn't disregard Khrushchevo, one of the real fastest growing places to fly in Europe, but also a super, super cool place with many advantages and, and, and uh, the least of which are um, very cheap to live, very cheap to eat and everyday flying. I mean, what more do we need? Competition format you have is really good. Um, when you mentioned Goran, of course, Goran is your uh, uh, your long-standing friend and partner. Um, Goran is in charge of the PwC, um, so he's the big man who's kind of uh, held the steering rudder of the PwC for many, many years. So Goran is not just a guy who's just started yesterday. By the way, I'm waiting for Goran to let me know if he's doing his podcast with me. I've sent him an invitation, but maybe he's sleeping. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Finally, uh, you test gliders too uh, for Bruce Goldsmith. Uh, you maybe want to give us a quick something on that. I was testing uh, gliders um, since 2010 for Axis and then later Icaro for a couple. Now for, for Bruce Goldsmith, I'm just a team pilot and um, represent uh, Bruce Goldsmith gliders, advertise and stuff like that. Although I do get some early serial gliders before final coming out, like the uh, Tandem and a few other models, but I'm not testing full-time uh, with uh, Bruce at the moment. Um, our job here in uh, with the guidings and the SAVs uh, became quite big, so there was not too much time spent testing. And uh, anything else also meant uh, moving and at this point it was definitely we were quite focused here to develop this place as a, as a competition area plus as a guiding and touring place so I focused on that in the last four or five years but before that six seven years in a row I was testing for Axis and Iker full time you're a bit of a prostitute Martin what is this testing for all these companies Mabru <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, things were going. Um, it's an it's natural way around. Actually, it's it's very funny story how I started to work for for, for Axis. My my first testing. You know, I I grew up with this sport from uh, being a 
kid, I only watched my 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 other other kids in the in the town were watching cartoons. I was watching a video cassette of Mike Kung and all these guys with old Perche gliders from the 91, 92. And this is how I grow up. And since I know for myself, I was like, this is what I want to be. And as yeah. as I started flying and, uh, and learning more and more, I actually was very eager to take and test gliders for my friends and just to see how this glider reacts, how that glider reacts, make collapses, fly a little bit, and just to try as many different gliders as possible. I think by the age of 18, I have flown more than 50 different gliders. Yeah, it yeah. was very interesting for me. I was, I, 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 to this day, I still really love this trying out and development thing of, of the gliders. Yeah. And one <laughs> of the reasons why I am on this position that I'm here is because of our sport. It's probably, it's their, their fault completely because when I started flying, the, the country here just separated from Yugoslavia and it was big transition period and everything. It was, we had maybe more than 40% of the people unemployed. My parents were one of them. So there was no chance for me to get new gliders, new models and stuff like that. I was flying with 35, 40 kilos of ballast on some borrowed gliders what? or gliders that, <laughs> gliders that actually, friends gave yeah. us. Yeah, now that I think about it, some of the stories out of Macedonia are pretty bloody wild. Eh? Yeah, you, you guys are completely crazy in your heads there. I love it. <laughs> it like, you know, I, I was very lucky to pick up this from my father, which was uh, very long in the sport. He started uh, with skydiving and sailplanes first and then hang gliding in the 80s and then uh, right with the beginning of the paragliding with paragliding. But at these times when... Uh, all the economy and everything was not really <laughs> flourish and so on. We had no other chances. So I, I was learning to fly with gliders like Paratech P2, P3. I was very lucky because um, my father learning to fly in the old aero clubs and with different, um, with sailplanes and parachutes and everything, everything, even though we flew very unsafe gliders, Everything was done very safe, actually. I spent a lot of hours on ground handling. Uh, also, my progress was going very slowly because who would want to send a, a small kid off in a strong thermals and everything? Actually, I, I, as usually, I was the one pushing, but I was very, very lucky to have very good instructor. More Now he has more than 45 years of flying experience. And not a single injury, not even a twisted ankle, zero. What? Forty-five years, and he's never twisted an ankle. Wow. Never. So I think from this side, I was very fortunate in very unfortunate times to start flying, and then the development went like that. That around fourteen, I flew like uh, my first cross countries, eighteen hundred k's on a glider from 98 sky divine and stuff like that so uh, in these years we visited a lot of uh, a comp uh, accuracy competitions and a lot of competitions in cross country which were 
just around uh, these neighboring countries, Serbia, Bulgaria, Greece, and around, of course, you cannot travel too far. No. So in, there was a World Cup in Serbia in 2015. And I went there, we knew the organizers, it was of course friends from the neighborhood and stuff like that. And they allow me to be a wind dummy this, on this World Cup. So I flew before all the competition pilots and a little bit with them and so on. I was on a certain heaven. I was 15 years old, flying with my idols. It was a fantastic story. And um, our sport were there with their team. Back then, they had our sport World Cup team, Keiko Hiraki, Vavirik uh, Svetanov. There were quite a few good pilots in their team. They decided to support me and help me out. And from then to this day, they, were, they are supporting me big, big time with rescues, harnesses and everything. And especially in those between 15 and 20, which were crucial years for development and everything, I could have some old gliders from the first competition team. Then I could also get a new gliders for myself. And of course, all the palette of harnesses from them, from acro to competition harnesses. And the, I think if it wasn't for our sport, I wouldn't be on this place. But the story is, I, I started how I started with uh, Axis. Um, in 2009, I flew uh, Magus and then our sport, uh, everything was changing around this time and they, they stopped having the team. They said that we can support you with harnesses and everything else, but we cannot allow ourselves uh, uh, to buy you a glider and everything. So I had a Magus 6, which I could sell and I sold it for, I don't know, uh, some thousand something euros. And then I was like, okay, now what? I have no glider for next year. I need to work on that. I had a friend in Bulgaria, which was Axis dealer. So I asked through him if, look, these are my results. I was third place on a pre-WC the, the year before and a few other very good uh, competitions, first places on a local comps around Serbia and this uh, region. So I was presenting all my results, everything I've done. Maybe they can give me some discount and everything. And this was autumn. And there was no answer. These, are, these were a little bit wild years because uh, this is when the two-liners started to come out from Ozone. And I think everybody were very focused to catch up and they needed a lot of investments and everything. There was no answer on this. And I spent the winter. I was like, okay, next year I will have to, I will have to make a pause so no cross-country flying, but I will continue with uh, accuracy because this was cheaper and also because at this time we had a nice team uh, with some Serbian guys that uh, had um, Nike as a sponsor in Serbia, mm -hmm. which was tra uh, paying us traveling costs and so on. So I, 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 was, I didn't have too many costs around that. I was like, okay, I will just continue with this accuracy small comps. And then in spring, in March, I go to the Winter Cup in Slovenia, but competing in accuracy nationals of Slovenia. <laughs> so, but at this time, all the cross-country guys from the Alps, from, this is the, usually the first competition, uh, a cross-country comp organized by Gasper Press in Slovenia. But I'm there flying my ENA, 
and um, doing some macro. I won the comp. I was flying with them on the task a little bit with the ENA and stuff like that. And they actually asked around, ah, who is this guy? This is how I, after that, when they saw me, they were like, okay, I think we can talk, we can start flying for us. First, I started just as a competition pilot. I got a glider. We flew some early prototypes of the two-liners, carbon uh, gliders, very interesting times. And then slowly started more and more testing and testing for them. And then as I moved more towards uh, guiding and uh, guiding and courses with, uh, with my company, with the SAVs as well, also coming to South Africa in winter, I couldn't do that as a full-time job. And mm -hmm. then we made a very smooth, tra smooth transition with uh, Standa. He took over with testing for Axis. And uh, up, after that, I, I could partially test for Axis and Icaro as well uh during uh, the times when i was free that's how i ended up testing for these guys and those guys but never on a on a bad note or, or something like that the organizer let's say uh, in charge of the bgd team as the bgd company was starting and uh, i had a very big history with bruce goldsmith from before i so when i was flying for our sport they were helped, uh, they were producing for Bruce Goldsmith, and I was flying Magic 3, Magic 4, Magic mm -hmm. FR gliders, and so on. So it was smooth to natural transi transition for me to be one of the first team pilots for Bruce Goldsmith, and then I'm still there flying their gliders and enjoying the colors. Martin, <laughs> did you ever fly a triple X from Airwave? No. <laughs> No, I didn't have a chance to fly one of those gliders, but I, I, I flew next to them. <laughs> Legendary glider for those years. That, 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 was a, <laughs> that was a sick man's glider. Wow. How many guys crashed with them? A, a very good friend of mine still, uh, Hans uh, Hadra in Johannesburg, he ended up in hospital with one. And that triple X was probably the absolute worst uh, um glider for for crashes you know really terrible but yeah you know I mean, they... in in the mid late 90s there was a very big progress in uh, in the gliders yeah. very big progress in, in the in the performance especially although i was very young i only started at 2001 but before that i was still very focused on, on all these things I, I i knew all the podiums from worlds and Europeans in the years back. So I can tell you that um, uh, also being intrigued by this historic stuff and so on, the, the problem was that the gliders were big progress in performance and many times, uh, sometimes have bigger progress than the pilots themselves. Very similar to what we had with the two liners, the two liners in the beginning. So, the pilots actually couldn't keep up with these gliders. You give the glider to a very good pilot and they were winning many competitions. The same was with EDL uh, Sector and um, Sector TX and all these gliders. But in these mm -hmm. years, in the late 90s, but the problem was when the regular people were buying them, they required different techniques and different style of flying, which not many people knew. And this, this came with a lot of injuries. 
Of course, mm -hmm. then the second generation, third generation improved massively in safety as well. So they could be massively used. But these early gliders had a lot of success by the top pilots and a lot of troubles by those that are, they were, they were not that ready or they didn't have the contacts to learn or to find out how to fly them. No, you're completely right, uh, Martin. Um, it's not the first time that you and I have had this discussion about uh, the progress of the gliders versus pilots. And um, you are completely right. Um, the progress has happened at times, and I don't speak of all times and all pilots, of course. We are talking about, you know, um, psychology and people. And But unfortunately, a pilot, what happens? He wants to have as hot a glider as he can. So a guy who's not ready for a triple X would climb on that thing and whatever. Um, you spoke to the sector. I had an Edel sector. I had a Sabre, then I had a sector, you know, and it was great. Uh, you didn't want that thing to go, of course, because it wasn't very pretty, but um, it was cool, you know. Um, those things flew and there was a nice progress, as you say. I love the history lesson. Thank you very much for that. That was really, really nice. Yeah. I am flying uh, gene gliders actively in the competition category. I fly gene. Uh, we are very happy with gene supporting us also uh, big time with the organizing of competitions. He supported completely the Europeans in 2016 and also the, the last worlds. Uh, we mm. had the pleasure of having gene also as a guest here for, during the worlds. And I think it, it was a big pleasure for us. It's very nice to see one of the people that um, started moving all this competition scene, still fighting, still going hard in very different times of, of paragliding history, still trying to lead the, the competition scene. And I think this effort for better and safer gliders and this level of gliders at the moment, it would have been possible if uh, companies like Jin uh, have backed off and started and stopped producing competition gliders as many other companies did. So I think the 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 role of Gene and the other companies, but especially Gene, because I think it was one of the only couple of them with Ozone at one point that were producing competition gliders. I think many people undervalue think that in order to have good, safe and nice competitions and nice competition gliders, these differences with, between companies, I think it was very crucial in our paragliding history. And if, may, if, if everybody backed off from producing uh, um, competition gliders and we were left with just one choice, I'm, I don't think that it would have been so fun, so safe and such a nice progress. All competition is always nice and fun and i really applaud big time to to gene and their company for fighting very hard and and developing competition glider despite uh, different times when actually producing competition gliders is not cost effective at all for example um i was chatting to peter Ritchick, a very good friend of mine for since i started flying and um Chatting to him yesterday, he was talking about the development of gliders, what it takes to produce a glider, you know, being the sole designer and glider of his own paragliding uh, make since 1989, you know, also started in communist times and stuff. And uh, he was talking and uh, it was also super interesting to hear. So you're completely right. I mean, 
And this corona is, of course, going to have a hell of an impact on um, where progress goes, which companies survive. For example, you know, everybody's speaking of, oh, what's what's coming out next from which company? You know, who's who's just about to release something? I don't want to mention names here, but of course, you know, in the competition scene, there's a, oh, is it coming out? When's it coming out or whatever? And uh, oh, oh, there's a lot of the, the hype and there's a lot of bullshit. And some guys made some uh, fake news, uh, made a photo of an Enzo 4, you know, in a package. Uh, it's like a lot of fun. You know, it's great. Uh, oh, it's here. And oh, have you heard there's an Enzo 4, you know, all this kind of crap. Uh, oh, we've got a we've got a Boomer 12. We're just about to release it, you know, all of that. I mean, Bruce Goldsmith, uh, you can't go wrong with a uh, really excellent, solid product, you know. Um, so that's 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 really, really nice. Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I really think maybe there's a scope for another uh, podcast. Um, in seven minutes' time, I have to speak to Felix Rodriguez. He's uh, agreed to an interview. We're going to laugh a lot at what Felix has got to come out. It's always uh, nice to chat with you. I'm sure that now in this period, we're going to have many times to chat again. As you mentioned, on the next episode, we can talk more about flying skills and learning and progress and stuff like that. No problem. I'm happy to, yeah. to share everything we can. No, I say thank you very much for sharing. I'm, I'm sure a lot of pilots out there are going to share this. Um, another idea you will really like, Martin, because it's your style. Um, as everybody knows, Martin is in Cape Town every year. You've done many seasons in Cape Town now, and you really fit in there. Uh, you arrive as the most uncomplicated uh, pilot uh, as a tandem pilot. I mean, I wish I had you on my team, but you work for another guy. Uh, same with Peter. And um, you guys are just uh, fitting in perfectly there. And you will like a lot that if people have enjoyed this podcast, just count how many podcasts you've seen on this channel, donate a dollar, and that goes directly to the Zimbabweans. So I just thought of it today. Um, our Zimbabwean team of workers will get every dollar straight in their hands from me. I'll make sure about that. Um, it's really been great having you on the line, Martin. Do you recognize this little town here? <laughs> <laughs> you have a nice yeah. office, eh? Yeah, that's it. And <laughs> this is the first video podcast, so I think it's been really a cool one. Yeah, it's been really, really nice, Martin. Thanks, you superstar. Look after yourself, buddy. And uh, see you soon again, eh? Thank you very much. We'll chat again. Definitely. Bye.